Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. And I'm your host, Christian Napier. Really looking forward to introducing our next guest, Amber Walbeck, who I interviewed for the IOC following the conclusion of the Pyeongchang 2018 Games. Now, when I say interviewed, I'm not talking about a job interview. I'm talking about what the IOC calls structured interviews, which capture key learnings from event organizers. Well, Amber, a lot has changed since then. Welcome to the show. I'm I'm so happy to have you uh, volunteer and come in and share your experiences. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Well, before we dive into the time machine and go back to the early 2000s or the late 1990s, uh, what are you up to these days, Amber? What are you doing aside from sitting at home? Well, <laughs> right now, yes, we're in a very uh, interesting time right now with the pandemic, um, which is actually very interesting in some of the things that I am doing currently. So I'm an advisor with the IOC, um, with the venues and infrastructure team. I look after currently um, the functions of look and signage and uh, wayfinding. So, which is a little bit different than what I started out with and moved along in. Um, and then I actually do some emergency management work. So that's kind of funny. And I, you probably, you mentioned you were going to talk to Chris Crowley and he's doing some similar work too. And it's very interesting how Olympic planning really has evolved into um, some key key lessons and how to apply to emergency management, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that is interesting. We just talked to Chris Crowley last week and the podcast is now available and he is the uh, emergency manager for Summit County Health. For Summit County, yeah. And so, <laughs> and, and, and so we had a little conversation about that, but tell, tell us what you're doing now uh, in the area of emergency management. Well, when I lived in Rio during, during the 2016 games, um, I didn't, I was watching too much TV, I felt like, (laughs) because at nighttime, it wasn't the safest place to be out and about running around. Um, And so I started taking, um, I don't know if you know Jim Wright in logistics. Do you know Jim Wright? Yep. So he and I used to cab back and forth to the organizing committee offices every day from Ipanema. And and we would talk about it constantly. And it actually all started from the, um, the earthquake that happened in Haiti in 20... 9 2010 so when we were in vancouver and we were doing dress rehearsals for the games in vancouver and um haiti happened and our entire team sat there and thought we're venues and infrastructure we can go down there we can deliver water we can set up you know sites for villages and dining halls and all of these different things is very what i do in venues and infrastructure and i just couldn't ever get that out of my head so i did a master's degree during Rio (laughs) on emergency management. I know it's so weird. And, but it actually really relates. I've just finished a study for Clark County, Nevada on sheltering. And um, unfortunately we hadn't finished or started the study and the pandemic happened and they're now working on getting um, some of those hospitals set up in the, the um, convention center. So it's all infrastructure for, um, games is ex- exactly what we would do for an emergency management. So, wow, that's really interesting. Perhaps not from the pandemic itself, meaning the the virus, but certainly economically, Clark County has been probably one of the hardest areas hit of the country. Yeah, they're they're struggling right now with the the homeless population and and um, the how to control that outbreak and making sure that they have 
um, sheltering options. So um, it's a great group of people down there. I really highly respect them. And I know um, they're doing everything they can. So yeah, I'm very excited to get going on that project for them. So hopefully it all gets going. So Well, excellent news, Amber, to the rescue. <laughs> Let's hop back in that time machine a little bit. Let's go to Salt Lake 2002. Yeah. Now you talk about your role in venues and infrastructure. What exactly were you doing there in Salt Lake City? What was your role? So um, I was actually a contractor and I came from a firm, an architectural firm in Salt Lake called MHTN Architects. They, um, Jerry Anderson came in from venue development. The department used to be called venue development, which is now in the Olympic world called venues and infrastructure. He came and hired six of us out of um, that office, and I was in charge of all the interior layouts, all the space planning for every venue. So uh, there was a team of three of us, and I was the head of that team to do all of the layouts for every venue. I want to dive into those responsibilities in just a moment, but before I do, so Jerry Anderson comes in and... and takes you and brings you on board. But before that, had you been doing any work in events prior to that? Or was this a completely new thing for you? What was your journey like to Salt Lake 2002? Yeah, no, (laughs) it was kind of, um, so I worked in in the interiors department of MHTN and we did all the uh, space planning, master planning exercises so that we did um, footprints, you know, for buildings, et cetera. So we could figure out, um, spacing and then just the interiors of it. So he wanted us specifically, it was actually a really funny story. He came in and he, he had me come into a, a meeting room in MHDN and he sat down and he said, okay, so do you know how to do this? Do you know how to space plan? And I'm like, yeah. And I started talking through everything that I would do. And he just looked at me and goes, no, can you do what I'm asking you to do? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Done. <laughs> So it was almost like he needed that for Jerry. It was almost like he needed to look you in the eye and he needed to know if you were you were good to go or if you weren't. And he could somehow tell, which is very Jerry, right? So if <laughs> everybody knows Jerry. So anyway, yeah, um, he just said, okay, you're starting next week and I want you to do it. You put together the plan and deliver. So he gave us autonomy to do what we needed to do. And yeah, it was great. So Amber, when was it that you actually moved then over to the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? Uh, in 2000. So we worked for Salt, Salt Lake 2002 for two years. And Jerry then used us to, Jerry and Grant, because really Grant was our boss, but um, they used us through to um, close out the venues at the end. So I ended up closing out. So I was a site manager also at the E-Center Men's Hockey and um, then closed out a lot of the landscaping um, remediation works at all the venues. I kind of drove in my little car all around Utah after games was all closed down and the locals kind of so I'm, I'm a local, I guess I should have said that, born and raised in Utah. And yeah, so we closed out the venues and then I went back to my firm in the fall of 2002 after it was over. You go back to the firm. How did you then stay in the movement? You know, you, uh, <laughs> so you go back and you, you go back to your architecture firm, but then what takes you to Rio, as you mentioned, and Vancouver and uh, to now where you're at? Yeah, um, so I went back to MHTN and, um, in 2006, I got a call from Karen Koppel who, you know, probably as well. And Karen was hired by Vancouver 2010 
to do the overlay portion, so the design of the venues in Vancouver. And she asked if I was interested. And literally, I sat there and I thought, okay, I can be 50 years old, which I'm almost now. (laughs) And I could be staying in one place in one firm and doing this the rest of my life, or I can go have an adventure. And that's literally how I put it to myself. And I just said yes. And I moved to Vancouver thinking that I would move back home and I would just go have this little adventure. And I have lived abroad through the Rio games. And because of other circumstances, I, with family, I moved home after Rio and now I'm um, an advisor for the IOC. So yeah, that's kind of how I got, got there. Well, that's an incredible journey. Um, you mentioned Grant, and uh, for the listeners, that's Grant Thomas um, yep. and Jerry Anderson's. Who I see all the time, and I love it. <laughs> Grant is an advisor as well. And it's so funny. I always say, this is my mentor. Here's here's Grant. He's fantastic. Yeah, and, poor, and Jerry. Yeah, Jerry's passed now, and that was heartbreaking. Well, you mentioned that's very, very true. Um, and he was an icon uh, in yes. this industry for, for many, many years. Now, aside from Grant and and Jerry, who are some of the people that you work with every day that were really interesting or inspiring uh, to be around? Because I thought that slot team, there were a lot of great people on that team. Yeah, it was really incredible. Um, I joined when they were at the the final offices, right? The tower on Main Street. Um, so I was never in the older offices. Um, and I was there just as it changed over to Mitt Romney as well. So that's, I didn't, I wasn't there during the drama portion of it. So I, I had a great time. Nothing, there was no stress for us. We came in and I was paired up with logistics quite closely. So Michael Wingate, I hung out with Michael quite a bit. So we kind of, they were establishing what all of the um, FF and E was going to be inside. And so that's what we had to use for our space planning. So I actually did a lot of work with logistics. The cool thing for me was that we got to our job for the three of us. They called us the triple A because we all, it was Amber, Adrian and Addie. So they called us the triple A team that were doing all of this space planning. And, um, we, we, um, we were worked with every single FA. So, that was really pivotal for me moving forward is because I learned the requirements for every single function where a lot of people are very into their own function and how they do bits and pieces. But that really helped me as I moved to Vancouver, I was the first overlay manager in design manager in Vancouver. So I had all ice and non-comp venues um, Hervé Ray, I don't know if you know Hervé, he's not a Salt Lake guy, but Hervé did all the mountain venues and Ray Stoddard. I don't know if you remember Ray Stoddard. So it was us three. And then Karen Koppel kept just the men's hockey venue because it was just this cluster downtown in Vancouver. But um, by having that knowledge, I was able to then step up and do more. And then in Vancouver, I, I, I wanted to do a multi-sport venue. So then I stepped up and did more. And so I think... Um, that grounding that I had in that broad view of how the games operated from every functional perspective, that really helped me progress in the games moving forward. So, and although this is a Salt Lake 2002 podcast, I'm, I am curious about this. You work these winter games and then you transition into a summer games in Rio. 
How was that transition like and having to learn all of those new venues and, and new sports? Yeah, that was interesting. I thought it was going to be difficult. I was actually in Qatar. So between Vancouver and London, I was in Qatar for delivery only. They hired me just to deliver the um, the uh, the Asian Cup. It was a football match. And that for me was stepping out of winter games and going to a football and then I was called to do the athletics. So I was the main stadium in London. And so, yeah, it, it, to me, I was a little bit nervous, but it's all the same. The components are the same. And all you need to do is sit down with the sport team and find out what the requirements are for those sports. And it's it's all very similar. They all have very similar requirements. There are a few differences between summer and winter, but um because you have that background, you can transition very easily. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for. Sorry, back to 2002. Well, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Thank you for indulging my curiosity. I appreciate it. Okay, back to 2002. Oh, you know the other thing that was really cool is that we worked with um, a lot of guys in the venue development team that were from Bechtel, which was a large engineering company that Grant brought in, and they were hilarious. And if you ever walk through the venue development. Um, I think we were on the 17th floor of the high rise and um, they would be telling stories about working in the Middle East. So they were building palaces out there and they would just come with these crazy stories. So I working in venue development and with these guys from Bechtel, we laughed all day long. They're the ones that started calling us the triple A. And so, you know, the environment in the venue development team was amazing. I, I think about that a lot. Um, how, close everybody was and how funny and, and just a team that came together from all over the world that just came together and we meshed really well and delivered an amazing games. I talk about Salt Lake a lot in all of the games that I've done since then about some of these, some of these cool um, pieces of how everyone came together and delivered and, and getting together as a team. You know, it's funny when we reminisce, it all sounds like it was amazing. Like, oh, yeah, we had the best experience. And truly it was, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was easy all the time, right? So what were oh, some no. of the big challenges that you faced and and uh, what kinds of uh, creative solutions did you and your teammates come up with to address some of those challenges? So for me, it's um, what I was doing in Salt Lake. It was just the mass quantity of what we had to do. Um, there was, I mean... Every single piece of FF&E for logistics, every single flow, every single confirming sizes of every single space at every single venue. <laughs> it just, it was a lot of work. And we, we just were plugging away constantly. I remember in um, Thanksgiving, it was just Thanksgiving in 2000. So that was November. Um, I, well, I remember 9-11 happened. And they had us leave. So it's one of those, where were you on 9-11 stories? And they had us leave the tower because remember, they thought that we would potentially be a target. So because we were so busy and we had so much to do, I literally, we went back to the office at MHTN and kept working because there was just so much to do. Um, that there was that tornado. I don't remember if you remember the tornado that they had downtown Salt Lake never happens. It's happened since, which is very odd, but that tornado, again, I was on my way because of something that was going on that I was working at MHTN's office just to make sure I kept 
working. Um, the day after Thanksgiving, I believe it was, because we remember we got like Thanksgiving day off and we got Christmas day off, but we had to be back to work the very next day. Right. Um, I remember Jerry, Jerry coming to me and saying the contractor for the tents is not able to do shop drawings. We need you guys to do all the shop drawings. So we were like, oh my gosh, how do we (laughs) pull all this together? And we ended up creating all the shop drawings to show where all the doors and, you know, you know, window panes and stuff would go for every single tent, just so that all of the suppliers knew exactly how to set up the tent. So, um, I don't know. We just kept rolling with it and we just kept working. You just worked, 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 worked. Yeah. It, It seems to me that the people that, that thrive in this industry, are the people that are able to kind of roll with the punches and overcome a series of impossible obstacles and meet a number of impossible deadlines. But it's just like, well, it's just part of the deal. You just have to, you just have to roll with it. If you allow yourself to get too stressed out about it, then it overwhelms you. And so people like you that that have that kind of personality, I think do very, very well in this business. It's, it's interesting. That's one thing that I ended up training all of my teams for site management moving forward was that we set the tone for the venue. And if we're panicking and we're not problem solvers, everything has a solution. It may not be ideal, but there's always a solution. And if we are the solution people and we set the tone that everything can be solved, when the venue teams move into the venue, you know, they're all like, ah, and they're crazy and they're thinking, but if we're calm, because we've been on site for, you know, six months, sometimes, you know, many, many months before venue teams arrive to build the venue out, then that, that tone, we, that tone continues on so that then the games, when the athletes arrive, that tone is there and this venue is very ready to go. So it it is something you have to teach people because some people just panic no matter what. And you just have to teach them that there's always a solution. It's not ideal, but there is a solution. All right. Thank you so much. I think that translates well to your emergency management work as well. If you're uh, always in a panic mode, then it's very, very difficult to deal with these kinds of emergencies. But if you have a level head and you're a problem solver, then you'll be more effective. I I hope I can be a a good emergency manager, (laughs) but I'm I'm not looking for that. I'm only doing consulting stuff, but... (laughs) Um, it's yeah, life and death is very different than a games, but it's all, it seems life and death at a game sometimes, right? When athletes are arriving and power goes down, like in Salt Lake 2002, the night before, um, gold medal match, the power went out or the morning of the power went down, the substation went down. So, you know, those kind of things happen and, and you have to be on top of what the procedures are and to get things moving. And the person that attends the event or watches it on television has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. They have no idea. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that the power was just down and that the lights were only at 50% and <laughs> they arrive and everything's fine. Yeah. And everybody's running around trying to get it sorted. Okay. Any of- <laughs> if we do our job right, they don't know. <laughs> Uh, exactly right. If you do your job right, then they then it's not apparent to anyone. Okay. Any other interesting experiences that you wish to share before we go into kind of the final component of our, because I have some assignments for you, but before I get to those assignments, are there any other really interesting, fun, 
educational or inspiring uh, experiences that you had in the lead up to or during the games that you want to share? Um, you know, there's always some really fun stories. I think the cool thing I think about the games, well, I was I was the newbie, right? I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never done a games. And there were so many people that had done Atlanta, um, Sydney. We had a lot of people that came in then from Sydney. Um, and I think for me, I was just, I was taking everything in acronyms, like games vocabulary was huge for me. You should have, I wish I would have kept it, but I had this notebook that I, every time I heard a new acronym, I started writing all the acronyms in and the games vernacular is extremely different. And, and once you know it, you, you know, it just, every games has a little bit slightly different, but to me, that was a lot to, to figure out. Um, and I just felt like I, I just wanted to learn everything I possibly could. Um, I had no intention of moving forward with doing a games again. Um, I just thought this as a local, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. I say that a lot to a lot of the teams that I work with now at every, actually at every single one I've done since I was a local too. The games mean something a little bit different to those it's in your hometown. And we, I understand where you're coming from and I I want you guys to step up and take on that responsibility of, of driving it and making sure that the heart of your city is felt everywhere. So I think that was different. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the few locals that, you know, have stayed on from Salt Lake to the Studios and gone through the games. Uh, I'm one of you. <laughs> I'm one of those locals yeah. as well. I didn't have any event experience prior. I mean, before the games, I worked for IBM. Uh, I was not associated with events in the slightest. And I say the same thing to, to organizers. It gives you such a tremendous sense of pride to stage an Olympic games in your, in your community, in your hometown. Even today, when I think back to some of those memories, it gives me goosebumps and I'll, I'm going to ask you for a goosebump memory at the end. But before we get there, as I mentioned at the outset, we've, we've got a, I gave everybody that I've invited to this podcast, a little bit of homework. Because I wanted yes. you to have, feel like I you, did the homework. <laughs> I, I wanted everyone to feel like they were prepared, and and I wasn't springing surprises on them. And the first, the first piece of homework was uh, about music. And everyone that I've talked to so far, they've mentioned a song or a few songs where, whenever they hear it today, it just immediately takes them right back to Salt Lake 2002. So we'd love to add yours to the list. I've created this little Spotify playlist and I've put all the songs on there and anybody can listen to them. And it's kind of fun to hear what uh, people have nominated for the songs. What song would you nominate to put on that list? You know, this one was hard (laughs) because for me, I was going through a JD period. So it was a John Denver period. I was, I was really infatuated with this boy who loved John Denver. And so I was like getting very familiar with John Denver at the time. But I remember going with my family, we got tickets to the, um, Metals Plaza and, um, Bare Naked Ladies Night. And I'm sure everybody's probably talked about that, but every time I hear, um, Bare Naked Ladies, I think of, Salt Lake 2002 games for some weird reason. It always comes back to me, but it's because of that memory of my family. We were at the Metals Plaza and it was, it was 
amazing. Like I, I have to be honest with you. I don't think I've seen, you know, London park is very similar, but the plaza in Salt Lake was so memorable for me and the downtown and the look elements layered on all the buildings. And do you remember that one hotel that had, it looked like carpet was coming out of the mouth of the speed skater. I didn't even remember which one that was. Anyway, it was just the, the backdrop and everything and the bare naked ladies, you know, they were new and fresh and hip. And my mother was singing their song, which is completely not, she is, she would never have known any hip songs. So <laughs> it was very cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, our very first interview was Darren Hughes. Darren Hughes also mentioned Bare Naked Ladies. I, I also was there at Meadows Plaza that night watching Bare Naked Ladies up on stage wearing their Canada speed skating outfits and uh, and um, and playing. Now, he nominated the song Pinch Me. Is there a particular song from the uh, Bare Naked Ladies that you want to include on the list? Or do you give me free reign to choose any song out of their discography? You can choose, but it's it's the Million Dollar song. What was the name yeah, of that if song? Yeah, a million dollars. Yeah, and my yeah. mother, every time she wanted to hear that song. So she became like a fan. Yeah, it was okay, very well, funny. Okay, we're going to throw that on there. That's one of the advantages of going <laughs> fairly early in this is that uh, the chances of you choosing a song that someone else has already chosen are relatively low. Good point. So we will add um, the Million Dollar Song from Bare Naked Ladies onto the list. <laughs> the next assignment that I gave everyone was to nominate a restaurant, a place that they ate during the game. Now, some people ate in the office or some people didn't even eat lunch, and that's t- totally fine. But is there a particular place that you used to like to go to when you worked there in the old Wells Fargo building? I I can't remember the name of it, but it's that place across the street that everybody went to. What was that cafe? That it was a coffee house that then they started serving breakfast and then they did lunch and ev- it was literally across the street. So we, it was like this, it was like a slock exodus that would just run across the train tracks on main street and get over to that it was that little place literally across the street on main street and every you'll have to find out from some other people. I bet Maureen would remember the name. I'll have to ask her. I'd sorry. I couldn't, I didn't think about calling her before, but literally it, we, every, I would have breakfast there every day and you would have coffee. Like everybody would meet there for coffee and have meetings. So you would always have meetings over there. Um, what was the name of that place? They obviously shut down after because it was a hundred percent populated right. with slop. Now that wasn't the globe, was it? The globe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the globe. That as well. The and globe. I, I remember doing the same thing, uh, doing the march over there. It was the Globe. Yeah, every single day. There was not a day. It was rare if there was a day that you weren't at the Globe. Final assignment for you, Amber, and then we will let you go on saving the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not doing anything. I'm home with my 82-year-old father in isolation, so I'm trying to keep him healthy. So (laughs) Uh, We're doing the same thing. We're just uh, hunkered down. We're just hunkered down. Okay. Let's talk about that goosebump moment. What was your favorite memory of the games? It could be something that uh, a competition that you witnessed, or maybe it was something that happened behind the scenes, but take us back and, and uh, help us relive that goosebump moment. I have two. One's a funny and one's a bit of a goosebump. Which do you want both or just one? We got time for both. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) The first one's a funny one. Um, Again, because I was local, 
Um, I think I heard Maureen talk about um, the volunteers in Salt Lake, which I think not even from her from a language perspective, but I think from a volunteer perspective, Salt Lake has probably outdone any game since. I, I don't know if they've never been able to match the number of volunteers. So my whole family obviously volunteered and I worked for the, the organizing committee. And so my dad was a driver for the ski jump in the back of house up the hill. And my sister worked at the village in operations, but my mother was an athlete driver and my mother would drive the U.S. men's hockey team from the village to my venue because I was the site manager at men's hockey at the E-Center. And she, the first time she drove with them, she's got this big bus, you know, or a van and it has a half the team in there. And Brett Hull sits next to my mom in the driver, you know, he's in the passenger side of the front, in the front. And my mom turns to them. She's like, so what are you men, you know, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're the U S hockey team. And she's like, Oh, good for you. So what do you guys do for a living? (laughs) You know, thinking, and, and they, and Brett Hull goes, well, ma'am, we play hockey for professional hockey for a living. And my mom's like, good for you. That's so great. She has no idea. She's talking to Brett Hall, who is like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just our family laughs about that too today because my mother was just so innocent and so just like she had no clue who these people were and they just loved her. So my mother became a, a you know, a bestie of the men's U.S. hockey team, which is hilarious because they would come to my venue and she would be able to come in and it was very fun to, to mix. So having your family a part of the games was really fun. I don't know if you had the same experience of having family be volunteers. Did you? I I didn't. Um, I, I wish I would have. Uh, my yeah. my wife at the time we had very uh, four very small children, so she really wasn't able to kind of tear herself away to do any volunteering. Oh, yeah. And right. and uh, and my parents uh, had some health conditions that really kind of prohibited them to you know from participating. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but I have had you know, I have talked to people like you, Amber, who have had experiences with their family working for the games. And that's yeah, really awesome. Amazing. Turn it into a family affair. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think even today, the entire state would be welcome a games back here at any time, because it was just such a wonderful experience for the locals. The second thing, the, the, the amazing moment that I had was, um, I saw the loony go into the ice at men's hockey. <laughs> I saw the loony that Dan put in the ice um, um, and tried to be like, oh, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry about this. And the finals um, from the men's that that finals day always stays into my memory because the lights went down because that substation went out Um, again because it was post 9-11. The Secret Service was our security detail at the venue, which is obviously has never been done before which was very cool. We got to, you know, work with all of the secret service people about the perimeter of the venue and all of that. It was just a very intense day. Why did the lights go out? What was happening? The substation went down and it was, it was the finals Canada who had not won in 50 years since 1952. And then the U S and the U S was favored to win and Canada pulled it out in the end. And that was, I didn't realize that I would then, in the future, live in Canada for about four and a half years in <laughs> different cities. And so I, I don't know, it was just, it was amazing. And I think everybody there, yes, it was a loss for the U S but everybody felt 
they were so happy for Canada because that was a huge, huge um, underdog kind of comeback from that. And I won't forget that. I remember that game. I remember everything about it. I remember the loony, the lights, all of that stuff was just, I remember that day. That's an excellent memory. And I'm so glad that you shared that. And what a great way to kind of uh, go full circle by end up going to Vancouver and uh, being able to see, uh, see the matches up there. Amber, this has been huge fun. I, I'm so glad that you took time to catch up today. If people want to know more about what you're doing, either on the Olympic side or on the emergency side, how best to get in touch with you? Uh, probably through the um, email, if anybody has anything they want. I guess, is that appropriate <laughs> to give email? Yeah. or Yeah. Um, sure. You can just contact me at amber at brownhousestudios.com. All right, Amber, thank you so much. And uh, listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. And we'll be back next week with another set of interviews. Thank you.